Hey everyone, this conversation I had with Dr. Darren Peppard was really key because he talked about being a recovering high school principal. Now, any principal could say that they're a recovering principal, but the thing that really brought it home for me was that he said the principalship is the toughest job, but the best job you can ever have because even though there's stress and there's all different things pulling at your time and your emotions, you can have a fantastic influence and impact on students. And the way he does this is he talks about school culture being the most important things we do in our school and that it begins or is strengthened by giving opportunities for ownership. Now we can talk about building culture and how we do that and ways we go about that, but one of the important things that I really liked is his balcony time, his idea of balcony time that he goes more into depth about in the podcast. And it has to do with reflecting, to make sure that you're really looking at what you're doing and how you can improve it. So there's a lot of information there. But most importantly, and this is this is why this podcast is titled the way it is, is that he talks about every child and every adult in our schools should have the opportunity to be seen, heard, and loved every single day. Well, now that's that's quite a tall order to be purposeful about that, but you know, Darren gives us ways that we can do that and like I said before how we can reflect on that. So, I I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Um I know I did. So, Let's get to listening to what Darren has to say. You're in the people business. Pour into your people, you know, because when you do that, when you invest in your people, when you love your people, when you make sure that they feel like they are part of something special, hey, when those days come that aren't good, when those bumps in the road come, when they make a mistake or you make a mistake, they'll remember and you'll remember, hey, we're human beings. Nothing is fatal. We're going to be okay. You know, let's pick each other up, dust each other off, and let's keep moving forward. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Dr. Darren Peppard is a leadership coach, consultant, and speaker focused on organizational culture and climate and coaching emerging leaders. Darren is the best-selling author of Road to Awesome, Empower, Lead, Change the Game, and is host of the Learning into Leadership podcast. Darren was named the 2015 National Educator of the Year and was the 2016 Wyoming Secondary School Principal of the Year. In 2019, Darren was inducted into the Jawson's Renaissance Educator Hall of Fame. As a recovering high school principal, Darren shares strategies and lessons learned from 26 years in public education to help leaders gain clarity, find joy in their work, and walk in their purpose. 
I'm really excited to talk to Darren today for a number of reasons and because of all the things he's involved in. And I, I really can't wait to hear about what it's like to be a recovering high school principal. Darren, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. You know, um, man, I had so many different roles through the course of my career. Uh, I mean, everything from long-term sub right after I graduated from college to superintendent. And I'm telling you what, you know, the thing that I identify as is a recovering high school principal. You know, and, and, and as a high school principal, you'll get this. It is the hardest job in a district, but it's also the best job in a district. I mean, where, where else do you have the opportunity to have that kind of impact, not only on kids, but on your community? And, you know, it's at least this is how I felt, you know, I was at a high school of about 1400 kids, you know, community about, I don't know, 20, 25,000 people, man, as a high school principal, the light never turns off. I mean, the, the spotlight is always on you walk into Walmart. I remember my wife saying when, when I first got the job, she's like, man, I can't dress down when I go to Walmart anymore. You know, I mean, it just, you're, you're always on, but man, I'll tell you what, the, the impact, not only, I don't, I don't even like to say it this way, but, but, but I'll say it to, to lead to the next thing I'm going to say, not only the impact I was able to have on my school, but more importantly, the, the impact my school, my kids and my community had on me, I will forever, forever be in recovery as a high school principal, because it's just that near and dear to me. That is so true. And you know, it's funny when people ask me what it's like to be a high school principal, I say it's the toughest job you'll ever love. And um, absolutely. I, you know, I've sat many times with, um, with my superintendent and talking to him and he said, you know, I was a principal and he said, um, that job is much harder than this one, but I loved yeah. it and I miss it. So it's, you know, it is, yeah. it is a tough job, but it, there is so much reward in it from, and it's a cycle and you'll get this because you're a high school principal um, or a recovering high school principal. The, there's a cycle. I mean, the excitement of opening up the year, then doing different things, meeting the new students, reconnecting with the older students. And then as you go through the year, continuing those relationships, hearing their voices. And then at the end of the year, all the award ceremonies, the banquets and things. I, I find like from May, the beginning of May on, I can't stop smiling. I'm walking around with this grin plastered on my face because I'm so happy for all those students. Yeah. Yeah, because you're also just vaporized. I mean, the whole month of May, every night you have something. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's just unbelievable. It's, it's National Honor Society this night, and it's French Club that night, and it's, you know, uh, you know, senior honors, and it's, I mean, just nonstop in the month of May. You know, it's like, you know, I tell my wife, you know, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll see you two hours after graduation, but, but the next month, I'm not going to see you because it's that time of year and it, it really is. So I, let, me, let me ask you this. I know it's not my podcast to ask you questions, but I'm going to ask that's, you questions anyway. That's um, fine. So uh, did you ever get this one as the high school principal? Um, I was on an airplane once and um, I'm sitting, you know, you know how it is on an airplane. I mean, you can either put in your headphones and go to sleep or pretend to go to sleep or you can like engage in conversation. And there was this lady sitting next to me. And for some reason, I'm like, hey, yeah, I'll have a conversation. And we're flying from San Diego to Las Vegas. And uh, man, Chris, she never stopped talking. Um, but when she <laughs> finally took a breath, I think she was really nervous about traveling. But when she finally stopped and took a breath and asked me what I did, I'm like, I'm a high school principal. And she went, oh, I'm sorry. Have you ever gotten that one? I'm oh, like, yeah. are you kidding me? I have the greatest job in the world. 
Yeah, there's this there's this whole idea that people say that, or you know, that one. I've gotten plenty of that, and I got more of this when I was an assistant principal, but I've also gotten as a principal where people will say something to me, and we're talking, they know I'm the principal, and they'll mention their kid, and they'll go, "Oh, but you don't know my kid; they're a good kid." <laughs> they're a good kid. Yeah. yeah, I got that one all the time too. Like, oh, no, yeah. that's my job. My job is to know the know all the kids. Yeah, I, know. Just, I know. Yeah, I know. that's so, a little Johnny. I know them all. Yeah, yeah, little Johnny. So I. So with all these different roles yeah. and, you know, in your bio, I, I read about all these different awards and, and, you know, I don't know how many people, a lot of people do, but how many listeners to the podcast know about Jocelyn's and their, their Renaissance program and things like that. But so what is it you're passionate about in education? You know, that's, that's such a great question. And, you know, you and I talked about this even before we, we hit the record button. Now, I'll tell you what, for me, school culture is the single most important thing that we do in our schools. And, you know, now as a leadership coach, that's one of the first things that I talk with people about is, you know, let's let's really evaluate where you are with your culture. I mean, that starts with, you know, clarity from a leader, knowing what they really stand for, you know, uh, making sure that everybody else in the school knows what they stand for, that type of thing. But yeah, for me, it's culture. I mean, to me, culture is leadership. It's really hard to be a leader if you're if you don't have your pulse or have finger on the pulse rather of the culture of your school. It's I could go on and on and on about culture, but but I'll just simply say that the thing I'm most passionate about in our schools is the culture, culture for our students, culture for our adults, culture for our community and our visitors that come in. I mean. Everybody needs to know what we're about and everybody should have the opportunity to feel like they're part of something special when they come into our schools. So I'm not going to let you escape that easy when you say you can talk about culture forever because I'm a huge believer in culture. And, Sweet. Let's you know, do this. And, and a lot of people, a decent amount of people get confused or mixed up between climate and culture. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a difference between that. And what I'm really interested in your opinion on is you've been in every role. You started as a long-term sub. Um, you've moved up the ranks. Is there a common thread that you can draw between those or that you would draw between those for culture that people need to buy into the culture at every level? You know, a good friend of mine, uh, Jocelyn's Renaissance Ambassador, Dr. Philip Campbell, everybody knows him as PC. One of the things that PC says that I think is, is so critical, and this is a climate and a culture element, and that is everybody in our schools, adult and child alike, should be on a daily basis should be seen, should be heard, and should be loved. And when we're really conscious and we're really intentional about making sure that every child and every adult has the opportunity to be seen and heard and loved every day in our schools, and that's a commitment right there. That isn't something that's happenstance. Uh, You talk about the difference between climate and culture. Culture is this is how we do things here. You know, and there is also the, hey, we don't do that here. That's culture. And when when our culture is, we make sure that every kid hears their name every single day. I mean, it still floors me, Chris, and I know it's true. I understand the data and the research, but it's amazing that we can have kids go through our schools and, and go an entire day without hearing somebody call them by name. Right. I mean, that just floors me. And, you know, so quick, quick little piece on, on my culture journey. Going from I was I was first a junior high school teacher or I served five years of junior high if if, if you'll uh, if you'll understand that I love junior high I really my, did. my wife's a junior um, high teacher so I get it 
Oh man, I'll tell you what, you know, when you look in the eyes of a junior high teacher, there, there's just something not right, you know, and I know I had, I had those eyes that really did. I'm, I'm um, not going to say that on the podcast. She might listen. Oh, well, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, no, seriously, I, I love, 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 love junior. I love middle school. I had five amazing years. I just love to joke about, you know, serving five years. Uh, but then I taught at the high school level, but then I became an assistant principal in a different in a different school. In fact, a different state back in my home state of Wyoming. I was a teacher in Arizona. And that first job that I came into was was assistant principal in charge of discipline and attendance. You know, that that's the one somebody should have said, I'm sorry, because that would be an appropriate response for that job. But you know, at a point in time, we had to make a change in our culture. And and it was all about the, you know, here's how we do things here. And these are the things we don't do here anymore. We were just really good at catching people doing things wrong. And, you know, we had we had a lot of kids that, you know, if, if they weren't doing things wrong, nobody acknowledged them. You know, they just flew below the radar. And we made some conscious decisions, you know, when, and when it was, look, we're going to stop being about what, the, what they do wrong or start being about what they do right. I went from being the guy, you know, hiding in places in the hallways and knowing where to catch kids, you know, when they were skipping and that kind of stuff to the guy who was at the front door every single day, greeting kids by name, doing everything I could to know their names. So when they came in like 90, 95% of our kids came in through our main front doors, our buses dropped off there, our parents dropped off there, the main parking lot was right around the corner. Almost everybody came in that front door. If I and the team that I had around me, if we could call a kid by name as they were coming in, then we knew right away, hey, our kids have been seen right away. You know, they know that there's somebody here who knows who they are. You know, they started to build relationships more with us. We built more relationships with them. Uh, to me, when, when, when you ask me what's the common thread, it's a very long-winded answer. But hey, you pulled my string. I, I want to remind you, you pulled my string. <laughs> It's a long-winded answer, but it's relationships. That's the bottom line. You know, the, the thread between culture and climate is about relationships. No, and I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that I pulled your string, so to speak. You said that about relationships, and um, I do definitely, I do definitely want to get back to that. But you hit on something really important that I, I just can't let go by. The idea that culture is also the flip side of that coin of what we do here by saying, hey, we don't do that here. And Absolutely. oftentimes that that's a struggle. It, just being honest, that's a struggle to get individuals to say we don't do that here because sometimes you need to verbally say it and not just act act it out. Mm -hmm. So, do you have some strategies or some ideas that leaders could use um, or teachers could use for students in classrooms that would support them, where leaders can support their teachers doing it, teachers can support their students doing it in saying, "Hey, we don't we don't do that." here we don't we don't act like that here we don't we don't talk like that here so that they feel comfortable doing that yeah well chris it all begins with ownership if our students take ownership in our school they're going to feel empowered at a point to say whoa 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 we don't do that here you know that's that's not how we do that in our school you know maybe the school you were at before kids did that we don't do that here uh, the same thing is true with our staff and I mean, the number one strategy I would tell you for leaders, for teachers, teachers are leaders too, is you got to give those opportunities for ownership to happen. You know, it, it can't be a one-sided thing. Early in my career as, as, a, as a principal, so when I moved from AP to principal, I, I don't know, for some reason, I thought I had to like 
and to be everything for everybody. And, and part of that was I had to set all of these expectations and have these non-negotiables. And, and that's kind of a jerk, to be honest with you at first. And, and I think part of it was I was breathing through a snorkel. You know, my head was underwater that first year as a principal. So I was probably a little oxygen deprived. But I also had this, I don't know, this, this belief that it had to be, you know, my way. And it's, it's interesting because earlier, the same building when I was an assistant principal was when we started changing that culture to where there was that ownership. And then I go into my principalship and I, I think I just tried so hard not to be my predecessor that um, I, I I stopped being who I was. Fortunately, you know, it, it took less than a year for me to, you know, come up for air, you know, get up on the balcony and take a look around and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Look at what I'm doing to our culture right now. This isn't okay. That when it came, that's when it came back to having those deep conversations with staff, not only about what I value, but what do we collectively value? What's, what's truly important to us? Um, nobody ever said test scores, by the way. Um, you know, what was truly important to us was, you know, that our students had, you know, deep engaging learning, that our students had genuine opportunities to go and apply their learning in a real world setting. So that, again, our kids were were seen and heard and loved and felt like they were part of something special. The more ownership that our staff started to have and to feel, you know, and, and that just came to empowering them to make decisions. I didn't have to make everybody's decisions for them, you know, and, and once once we started to really push that back to people to make decisions, it started with me really empowering my assistant principals and empowering my department heads. The more people took that ownership, the more they started to feel like, oh, yeah, I, I don't need to ask permission to do this or to do that. That started to filter down to our students. And our students started to come to us with requests. I mean, I, I had a student who, who came to me um, and said, hey, I want to paint a quote on the wall. My predecessor allowed the seniors to paint a mural at the end of, at, at the end of their senior year, like the last four days. This girl was a sophomore in high school. And I said yes. And just empowering Allie to go and paint this this mural, I think people were like, wait a minute here. But that, that's pretty cool. And that led to more quotes and more murals. It led to our benches being built. And I remember a teacher asking me, well, benches, what if it gets vandalized? I said, what if they don't? Guess what, Chris? They didn't, you know. Um, but it just, it comes back to the ownership piece. When, when it became hey, this is our space. I didn't have to tell kids, hey, you know, we don't do that here. They took care of that for themselves. And we went from a school when I first got there that had a fight every week in the hallway at least. You know, I, I had at that time, like just over 1,100 kids. They did 2,300 discipline referrals that first year. By the time by the time all of this was well in, in motion, we were 1,400 kids and maybe we had 500 discipline referrals. Maybe we had three fights a year. I mean, it just, because they took ownership. They were the ones saying, hey, we don't do that here. They also, more importantly, were the ones saying, hey, this is how we do it here. This is what it means to be at this school. And when, when you have that, and that's when you know your culture is where you want it to be. And, and as a principal, you do what you're doing right now. You smile and you're just like, yeah. And you just keep encouraging them and patting them on the back and, and lifting them up. And when they fall down, you, you know, reach your hand down and you pick them up and say, hey, you know, you're be all right. Let's keep going. And it's all about ownership, man, 100%. They laugh because they say I lead with yes. And I'm, I'm smiling. I so relate what you just said. You're, 
that's such a powerful thing that you said that ownership piece and then them being empowered. And I, I just smile because when they do that, they obviously don't have things happen to it because they, they step in. We have quotes painted all over our halls. We have murals down a couple hallways. And one of the places I was at as a teacher before I got into administration, it, it, we were in inner city school and one of the students didn't do well testing and, and things like that. So they asked if they could do something as an alternative. And I said, well, sure, you got to think of something that's going to work work for you that is going to show me that you understand what you're doing. And um, the two girls got together and they painted a mural and they painted a mural summing up uh, U.S. history. And so they and it was it was linear in fashion and it went through you know, it went through um, Reconstruction and it went through the robber barons and it went to all that. And nobody touched that mural. And they, they'd go by and they'd look at it and everything. So that ownership is, is, um, is super important. One of the things I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about that, though, is so that, that takes a certain bit of thought. What you were doing takes a certain bit of thought. But you, you described a period where you stepped back, you kind of got up on the balcony, you said, and, and looked at what you were doing and, and your impact on the culture. I look at that as almost like a recalibration, and that's not easy for people to do. So how, how do leaders engage people that they're with to be able to step back and recalibrate? Because even if they reflect and they see that something is not going all that well, they still don't recalibrate because, you know, there's always next month or well, we're at the end of the year, I'll do it next year. So how can a leader engage their people in reflecting and then actually recalibrating, taking that action? That's, that is an awesome question, Chris. And, and I would tell you that I think there's two steps to it. I think, you know, first and foremost, you got to model it. And, and then the second thing is you got to have conversations about it. So, you know, it's almost, you know, this built in accountability without calling it accountability. You know, accountability has gotten such a bad, bad rap as a, as a word, because it, now it means how did you do on your test scores and what's your school's grade or whatever, whatever the case may be. But let's come back to modeling first. And uh, I, I, you know, I did talk about that. I did talk about getting on the balcony. It's something I'm very, very passionate about. And I, I mean, I wrote about this in my book as a teacher, I was a head basketball coach. I was also a head tennis coach, but I was the head girls basketball coach. And where I lived in Arizona, we were in the, the biggest classification, but we were the only 5A school north of Phoenix, and we were two and a half hours from Phoenix. So all of our conference games meant two and a half to three hour bus ride each way. I can't sleep on a bus. I mean, I could as an assistant principal, or I mean, as assistant coach, but as soon as I became the head coach, I couldn't sleep on the bus. I don't know why. So I watched a lot of video. You know, video on the way to the game, uh, you know, just the last minute scouting, you know, let's think about how they do this, how they do that video the whole way home, you know, gosh, what do we got to break down and work on a practice, you know, for, you know, for our next game, that kind of stuff. Well, that video is all shot from as high as possible in the gym. And if there's a balcony in the gym, it's shot from the balcony level. So when, when I became a principal and fortunately uh, I, I was given a leadership coach at the end of my first year, I got a new superintendent and he believed real heavily in leadership coaching. And my, my coach told me specifically you need to find a place where you will stop and in that space, no, this space means I've got to take stock of the things that are important to me. For me, it was six things. It's the six things I wrote about in Road to Awesome. And our gymnasium where I was a principal had a balcony. And Chris, I kid you not, I would actually go to that balcony and I would look down at the floor 
And in my own mind, in different places on the floor were the six things that were important to me. And the first time I did it, I remember Marilyn, my secretary, coming over and saying, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, okay, Marilyn, let me explain. And, and I did. And she's like, oh my gosh, that, that, that's just awesome. I love that. And it got to the point where, I mean, my staff and my kids knew what I was doing. And I would do it at least once a month. I was over on the balcony and it was right on my calendar. And Marilyn made sure it was on my calendar. You know, balcony time. I had 45 minutes balcony time at least once a month, usually twice a month. And to me, that was modeling for my staff and for that matter, for my kids. Hey, we all got to take stock of where we are, what's important to us. And man, you know this, you get in the school year and you get so deep in the weeds that you just totally lose sight of what was important in August. You know, I mean, you know, here we are in September and all these schools have opened up around the corner country, yours, yours as well. I'm sure in August, you were, you guys as a leadership team were like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to focus on this. And these are our goals. And dude, you're going to blink your eyes. And it's going to be November 15th. And you're going to say, what just happened? You know? So I had to put that time on my calendar because I'm not a type A. You know, this held me accountable. Now, take that right into the accountable piece with teachers. So when you're coaching your teachers, evaluating your teachers, whatever phrase you want to put on it, lead from a coaching perspective if you can um if your district allows that type of a, a, a leadership style and encourage the same thing you know and they don't have to go stand physically on the basketball balcony like i did but they need to have a space or a time where they intentionally stop and say okay i have these goals or these are the things that are important to me and not milestones in your curriculum not oh hey did you know, I got through cell theory, you know, by October 1st, by my head by three days. Not that. I'm talking like professional goals and or even personal goals. And then you as the as that accountability partner, you're scheduling time with them, too. And it's not I'm coming in to give feedback on a walkthrough or I'm giving you feedback on, you know, an evaluation, you know, that I, I came in and did or your data cycle, whatever. But rather just let's talk specifically about whatever it is that they've set their goals around. You know, I mean, if, if we can do those two things, model it and help hold them accountable, uh, accountable by having conversations with them, all of a sudden that growth cycle starts to happen and you see your teachers doing it with your kids. Again, as leaders, the biggest thing that we've got to do is model it. So that's that's how I would, well, that's, that's how I did it. And, and that's, how I, uh, that's how I coach it. <laughs> that's how I coach it now to, to other leaders. Yeah, and that's the beautiful part of it. It's not how you would do it, it's how you do do it. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So, my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com.
One of the other things I, I was thinking about is you, you've mentioned a lot of things. You mentioned culture, relationships, you know, making sure students are seen and, you know, that whole modeling piece. Perfect world. What's a, what's a school look like for its students and teachers? You go into a school, it's your, your ideal school. What do you see? And I'll tell you what, I'm real biased here because I would tell you the school where I was high school principal when I was high school principal should be what it was. Um, and we were not, I'm not saying we're perfect. Don't misunderstand that. But that's what we were striving for. It's a place where, again, every kid is seen and heard and loved and where everybody feels like they're part of something special. Um, it's, a, it's a place where collectively adults are working to solve problems, not working as independent contractors who share a hallway. It's a place where from the second you walk in the door, it is clear what is important in that school. You mentioned murals. I've mentioned some quotes. I'll tell you a project we took on, and this came from me being a dance dad. Uh, I traveled all over the Western United States from the time my daughter was six through her through graduating high school for competitive dance. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you can only listen to Rock and Robin so many times before you're like, I mean, that's probably why I don't have hair. So I would leave the gym. I mean, you know, I'd get to see my daughter dance four times, which meant, you know, I don't know, six minutes and eight seconds out of a, you know, 17 hour day in a gym. But they're usually held at high schools or, you know, middle schools or something like that. I would just go and cruise around because I'm a bit of a building junkie. And I would notice that the stuff that's on the walls tells the story of the school. My school, it was just this boring, ugly tan brick. And I, I took my staff to the front door and I'm like, okay, we're going to walk this long hallway. And at the end of the hallway was that the first quote that Allie put up. Tell me, tell me what you see. If you're a visitor, what do you see? And every one of them, I got the end of the hall, they're like, wow, this, this is awful. <laughs> we had a few sports trophies that are 25 years old. We actually had the 1987 pie eating contest trophy. No, uh, no, Rock Springs oh, versus Green River. Yeah, that's oh, right. Go oh, Tigers. Um, oh, yeah. So it's like, what do we care about here? What's important to us? And so that project became the entire, became the mural project. And I mean, right inside the door to the right, the silhouettes of who our kids are when they're not at school, a hockey player, a kid playing a guitar, uh, a boxer, um, a dancer, you know, those kinds of things on the other side, right inside the door, here's our mission and vision statement, you know, created by students, you know, the, it's now almost a hundred year old, the, the, the school crest, the hall of fame are, you know, our students of the week, you know, handprints on the wall. We wanted to make sure people knew what was important to us. And so that, that ideal school from the moment you walk in, it just has a feel. I remember my Jocelyn's rep, uh, Ricky Wilding would tell me, and he goes to hundreds of schools. Every time we would talk, he said, Darren, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but I walk in your school, there's a different feel. There's just this different feel. And I think it came from some of that, but it came from the pride that everybody had with being a part of who we were. And so what should school look like? That's what it should look and feel like. But then when you get into those classrooms, it needs to be what I referenced earlier. Every kid has an opportunity for authentic, important learning. You know, every kid has an opportunity to demonstrate their learning in their own way. Um, and, and every kid has an opportunity to have a path mapped out in their forward or in their, in their head to go forward or where, where it is that they intend to go. High school is a lot of fun. There's a lot of great things that can happen in high school, but we still have student outcomes that we need to be thinking about. And the most important outcome is what happens when they graduate? 
what's the next step? We want our kids to be clear about that. So to me, that's that's what a great school would would have. I want to believe our school had that when, when I was there. It's not because of me. It was because of the entire awesome crew that I had around me. That's what a great school should be. That's awesome. That's such a great description. You know, we've we've talked about a lot of things. We've pretty much gotten the idea that you live, sleep, drink, eat culture in school. Just a little bit. I'm a little yeah. addicted. Yeah, just just a little bit. And and you're a little bit proud about being a, a high school bit. principal. But uh, yeah. I I have two questions. Yeah, I, I haven't talked at all about being a soup. No, 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 not at all. Imagine <laughs> not that. that I dislike that. We did some great culture stuff there too, by the way. But yeah, but but it's yeah. but it's different. So you know, I I ask two questions at the end of every podcast, and we're getting near the end, so I I figure I'll I'll move on into these because knowing you, there's probably going to be some conversation. The first one is if you were not in education, um, an educational leader, who, not what, would you be? Oh, well, I'm. In, I'm Technically, I'm not now. Um, you know, having having left my superintendency, I'm now now a full time consultant, coaching leaders to do this work. But mm. but I think if if I had never gone in that direction, man, I think I would just be somebody who was adrift their entire their entire life. You know, I love to do an activity with uh, with schools when when I speak. You know, with leadership teams um, around our origin story. You know, every superhero has an origin story and. The same is true for us. And the, one of the interesting pieces is most educators did not set out to go into education. You know, they they went to go do this or do this or do this. And there are some who, from the time they were four years old, knew they want to be a teacher. That's great. But for me, I started in physical therapy. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a high school trainer. I dropped out of school because my mom was in charge of attendance at my high school. Chris, I, I never skipped a class. And I, I was going to say... Senior ditch day, she made me go to two of my three classes. I mean, come on, mom. I love you, mom. But <laughs> I got to college. And, and you're right. Yes, there's going to be some conversation when, when you ask me a question. I got to college and nobody was watching. And I ended up dropping out. I mean, I never went to class. I was really good at playing pool. But man, I never went to class and I drifted. I, I, I went into a major in business for a semester. Um, you just could not figure it out. And Fortunately, you know, I, I had I had that tap on the shoulder that got me connected to education, which actually was being asked to help coach a fifth grade girls basketball team. But but that's what hooked me. So if, if I had not been an educator, I don't know. I think I'm in a state of drift. I really do. I, I, I can't imagine being anything. I, even now, I mean, I've been out of, quote, out of public education for over a year. I'm still a public educator. I mean, come on. I just work from my house. Right, right. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the origin story piece because there are some different things out there, but I talk to people about their origin story in a way also. And because I'm a firm believer that your why is found in your origin story. And not everybody knows their why and people like mm -hmm. to talk about knowing their why, but I, I have my why and I can tell you exactly why that is. And I, I kind of spell that out a, a little bit in my book, but it, it has to do with my origin story. So it is incredibly powerful, like you said, when you work with people to talk about their origin story and suddenly they start thinking about, oh, this is why I do what I do. This is why I'm in education, which is why I asked that question because I've seen it answered in a bunch of different ways. Yours is really interesting and original, the idea that you would just be drifting because you yeah. this is this is what you're you're meant to be, so to speak, if you believe in that type of thing. Right. Or this is where your life was leading you. So it was a good answer. Yeah. 
the last one. <laughs> I know, right? Like there's a wrong answer. I say good answer, like correct. Yeah. Um, nice, nice. Thank you for yeah, grading the, me. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, it, it was on a mastery level. It wasn't a letter grade, so don't get too upset. Um, there we go. Okay, <laughs> but, I'm good for that. Yeah. There, there you go. I um it's funny, the the way people figure that question out though, it's funny. I, one of the um interesting ways that it played out during one of the uh one of the recordings I did was that the individual looked at what they have now in their life and then started taking away things that are in their life because of what they do and then came up with the answer that way. So it's, yeah, it's interesting the way people look at that and think about that, but, but I digress. So um, the last question is, you know, the, basically the wrap up or the whole crux of this thing is, is what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they lead? Uh, number one, you're in the people business. Don't forget it. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. We are in the people business. You know, there's, there's so many other professions out there, and it, it's perfect that this comes after the, after the question that you asked about, you know, who would you be if you weren't an educator? I mean, I can't imagine just creating a product, you know, not to speak ill of anybody who does that, but, you know, you look at so many professions, and... You know, my dad was an oil field equipment mechanic. You know, when my dad got the job done, the rig ran, you know, per like a kid. That's not how it works in education. <laughs> I mean, our job, I mean, seriously, Chris, think about this. Our job is take a little person and, and even a high school senior is a little person. Uh, they may be real big, but they're still a little person. Take a little person in nine or 10 months, make them a better little person. And maybe you do that through math or science or social studies or the miracle of third grade or wherever, you know, whatever your role is. But that's what we do. We grow human beings. So never forget that you're in the people business and, you know, don't don't burn the bridges on relationships. There are always going to be those people that you work with that are going to challenge you. I had five of my entire staff. I had five and they ran together. but you know what? I kept pouring into them. I could have simply just said, you know what? Those five, not going to fight with them anymore. I didn't fight with them anymore. I went and spent time in their rooms. I poured into them. I was nice to them. And, you know, I know that there are times they probably didn't appreciate it. But we also got some great conversation out of it. And I think it was interesting when 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 I left my high school principalship, I, they didn't hit, I didn't hear it from them. I heard it secondhand. But one of them said, see, I told you this would pass. I was there 11 years, Chris. They were doing exactly what we wanted them to. Nothing passed, but you're in the people business. Pour into your people, you know, because when you do that, when you invest in your people, when you love your people, when you make sure that they feel like they are part of something special. Hey, when those days come that aren't good, when those bumps in the road come, when they make a mistake or you make a mistake, they'll remember and you'll remember, hey, we're human beings nothing is fatal. We're going to be okay. You know, let's pick each other up, dust each other off and let's keep moving forward. So that's the number one thing I would tell and do tell leaders right now. You work with people. Don't, don't forget about it. Perfect. I, um, you know, it's funny because as you were talking, I'm like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) As I'm, as I'm sure many listeners are going to be one of the things, you know, and I, and I say that that's the the last question of the podcast usually, but what I do want to do is because it it is so good and it is uh, a larger look at what you're talking about is why don't you go ahead and, and plug your most recent book for us? Sure. Yeah. So 
I have two that kind of parallel each other. And uh, so Road to Awesome and Power Lead Change the Game is the book that I've referenced a couple of times through here. Um, I really focus in that book on six things that I thought were important as a school leader, still do. And throughout the course of the book, my goal is not to, to say, hey, Chris, these better be your six most important things. What I really want the readers of the book to do is identify what matters to them. Um, as leaders, if we can't be clear about what matters to us, we will be adrift. Right? Like I said earlier, we'll be in education, but we'll be adrift. And if we're adrift as leaders, so is our school. You know, our, our teachers will do everything they can to keep the ship moving forward. But if we're adrift, they're going to be adrift too. And that was really kind of the, the focus of that book is for leaders to really gain clarity around what's important to them. And I say leaders, not principals, because again, teachers are leaders, bus drivers are leaders, there are custodians. I had a maintenance guy named Cleve, who was one of the best leaders on my staff. He impacted as many kids as anybody on my staff. It was amazing what that man did. And so everybody can make an impact on kids. And so that book, Road to Awesome, Empower, Lead, Change the Game, that's what that's all about. I did a spinoff book with Jillian Du Bois, who is one of my very, very close friends. We did a kid's book called Road to Awesome, A Journey for Kids. The idea there is helping our kids understand that they have some control over their own journey as well. But they need to arm themselves with things like compassion and understanding um, and, and those types of things. It's a wonderful book. It's illustrated by Jillian, which tells you right there, it's brilliant. And uh, so, yeah, those are the two that are out there. I will tell you, I'm working on another project right now, but uh, I'm quite ready to tell everybody exactly what it is. That's, hey, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, uh, I'm sure the listeners look forward to it. I'm also sure that the listeners will want to reach out to you. So what's the best way to get in touch with you? You know, the best way, obviously, social media. Um, I'm Darren M. Peppered on everything. But if you go to the website, which is roadtoawesome.net, contact form right on there. Um, that's the easiest way to get a hold of us. You can email me through there. If you want my email address, it's Darren M. Pepper at roadtoawesome.net. It's not complicated, but definitely go to roadtoawesome.net. Get signed up for a newsletter and yeah, get connected with us. Cool. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on today. You said a lot of really great things that that I think a lot of us have to think about. And it's not, see, culture is not just something that happens and we achieve it and then we can walk away into the next thing. I think it's important to remember that it, it has to be cultivated and we have to stay with it. So I really appreciate you for helping us reflect on that. Right on. Thanks so much, Chris. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. Thank you.